hey, I've got a, a couple of giveaways I'm going to do. I'm going to do one later. This one's, uh, is Tiffany? Tiffany's not here, is she? Where is it? She's not here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the giveaway anyways in, in her absence. So we'll really talk about her since she's not here. So, But she visited last week for the first time. And so, you know, they, they fill out a, a, if you're here, I hope you fill out a visitor card because it gives us a chance to say hello. And so she filled out her visitor card. And so I, I called her and, uh, and, and uh, left a message. And uh, as I was about to leave the message, you know, her voicemail comes on and uh, it's this really nice, kind voicemail. And at the end of her voicemail message, it says, and if you're important enough, I'll call you back. <laughs> right? So now, so now, so, so as soon as it comes on, I was like, this is Pastor Fred from the City Life Church and I'm about ready to find out how important I am to you. <laughs> right? And so, so I, I leave this message and then I, I, I uh, hang up. And now see, you might think that well, of course she's going to call you back. But I want you to know, I almost never get callbacks from first-time visitors. Almost never. We're talking about even switching that up because we're wondering if it's, you know, if it's intimidating. If people are thinking, I call him, he might ask me some like Bible trivia question or something, right? <laughs> so actually, is, is I was thinking about this moment and joking around about it in my own brain a little bit, which can be a scary place. I was thinking, you know, I might just start leaving just crazy messages for people. Right? Hi, this is Pastor Fred from the City Life Church. Great having you. Uh, look forward to talking. Hey, when you call me back, you need to be prepared to tell me what the eyes and the tenth head of the beast of Revelation represents. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Right? If they're not going to call anyways, I should at least frighten them, right, a little bit. So, but I did get a call back from Tiffany within a matter of minutes. So I'm just sharing that with you to let you know that I am important. So, so we're giving that. She works with Kevin. And uh, Kevin and, and, and uh, his wife Jen invited her to come. And uh, so, anyway, so we, we, she can listen to the podcast and appreciate that. So, all right. So we are starting a new series. It's going to run for about five weeks. We've been planning it for some now. We've been excited for this series. It's entitled Mayhem. How many people see these commercials on tel television, the Allstate commercials? So Nate Nowotny, if you don't know Nate, he was over here uh, playing an instrument, leading out on songs tonight. He's on our governance team, one of our elders. And so he started calling around to Allstate agents in the region to let them know what we were doing. And so Tanya Sanchez, who is the business development manager for the region for Allstate, got wind of it, called him, and she's giving us all all kinds of free mayhem paraphernalia. I mean like bags with speakers. I know, isn't that cool? So we're just giving her a shout out, saying thank you in case she listens to the podcast. And then over the next several weeks, we'll have some of those that we'll work in as giveaways. So, so what's your favorite mayhem commercial? We like participation here at City. Which, which one out of all the ones? Sean Bay. Okay, the hot jogger lady running down. The jogger lady running down, right? Yeah, yeah. The raccoon in the attic. Could you turn me down a little bit, William? The raccoon in the attic. I see some hands. Tyler? Snow on the garage roof. The, the steps, the maid. Oh, yeah, and the hands all twisted at the bottom, the thumbs pointing in the right. Love it. Teenage girl texting, wrecks the car. Clem? The baby carry on top of the car. Somebody else? Jordan? The streaker, yes, I know. If it's a little bit inappropriate, it's a little extra funny. The house blows up. GPS. Jonathan? Test drives the motorcycle. That's hilarious, isn't it? Just ditches it. Was there back there? Any other? Did I see any other hands? I think the water heater is one of my favorites, too. Not because of the water heater, because of the look on the man's face in the yard as it comes up out of the roof of his house and then lands on the street. So, so the, the idea of what Allstate came up with, which is genius, is that 
if you don't have the right kind of insurance, when mayhem comes, it's going to cost you more than it should, right? They're not saying if you buy our insurance, you won't have mayhem. They're not saying if you buy our insurance, the, the goofball who comes to test drive your motorcycle for sale isn't still going to ditch it. They're just saying if you've got cut rate insurance, you're not going to be covered. And when mayhem comes, it could cost you more than it should. Jesus has a lot to say about mayhem, and he has a similar theme. Mayhem is going to come to your life. It's going to come to my life. We're going to read this verse just in a minute out of the Gospel of John. He gathered his disciples in some of the last moments of his life. He said, all this stuff I've been talking to you about, I'm telling you this because you're going to experience mayhem in your life. The question is, is it going to cost you more than it's supposed to when it comes? John 16, says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, you're going to have mayhem. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Now this is just part of the introduction to the series. We're going to actually take the series in a little bit different direction. We're going to get there tonight. But just as some introductory thoughts about this series. Your sense of inner peace is one of the most precious things that you will ever own. That one of the most precious things that you will ever have possession of in this life has nothing to do with your material possession. It has something to do with what the Bible calls peace. There's peace that is out here that is the absence of conflict. The Bible has a lot to say about that. But there's also a peace in here that is supposed to be impervious to what's going on out here. It's one of the hallmarks of the life of Jesus. As we read the life of Jesus, don't you find that what's in here is not affected by what's out here? He's always the influencer. He's always the change agent. Even when, right, he stands up in the boat, the storm's raging. These brave fishermen that have earned their living on the sea think that they're going to die. He stands up and he says, peace be still. He's just not talking about the storm. He's speaking to the hearts of the men that are in the boat with him. He's trying to help us to understand there can be something in here that's untouched by what's out here. And when mayhem comes, it should never cost you the peace that you have on the inside. Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. This is also restated, I think it's in chapter 65, if you're a note taker. 11, 6 through 9. Love this text. In that day, now here is a prophetic declaration of the new heaven and the new earth that God is one day going to create. That's another sermon for another time, but I believe this is a prophecy of that coming to fruition. It says, in that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion and the little child will lead them off. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. One day we're going to be in that place of perfect peace together. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, that's promised to you. We're going to be in the new heaven, in the new earth. That's part of what Jesus was talking about in John 14 when he said that I go to prepare a place for you. He's begun work. But this text in Isaiah isn't just about what's to come. This text in Isaiah isn't just about the new heaven and the new earth. This text in Isaiah isn't just a prophetic picture of what's waiting for us. It's a, it's a declaration of what should already be on the inside. There is a peace that we should discover 
because we are in him, because we are with Christ. Right here, it says, it talks right here, it says, it says coverage, right here, coverage and savings based on policy features selected. You with me? I don't know about you, but I've selected some policy features as a human being. And Jesus, he covers everything. He covers it all. And one of the greatest gifts that he gives to you, one of the greatest gifts that he gives to me, is that when mayhem comes, when he shows up, and he will, is there peace on the inside that is just intact. Mayhem does not have to cost you any of that. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4. I'm going to challenge you to memorize. This is, talked about it last week. Verse 3, just verse 3. I memorized that while I was on vacation. It's one of the ones that I, would, I want to have a verse that I'm just going to commit myself to. And so I found this while I was on vacation. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. If you've never memorized a verse, it's not going to get any easier than that. All right, maybe Jesus wept. But apart from that one, this is about as easy. It's, it's gonna, it just has flows. It makes sense. So I'm going to, during this series, Isaiah 26.3, commit this to memory. Own this verse. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. It's conditional. Are you with me? Are you tracking? It says you will keep in perfect peace, but it doesn't stop there. It's not a prophetic declaration. That is an explanation point right there. There's two conditions that Isaiah prophetically says that if God is going to keep us in perfect peace, there's two things that we have to do. And the two things is we have to trust in him and then our thoughts have to be fixed on him. Now, I think a great pairing for this text in Isaiah 26.3 is 1 Corinthians 13.13. So many places in the Old Testament are setting up what God says in the New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians 13.13, we have three words that are given to us. Who knows them? Come on. Anybody? The three that remain. Faith, hope, and love. Come on. Faith, hope, and love. Isaiah 26.3 is a precursor to that text that was inspired in the heart of the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit. You will keep in perfect peace. You will have the hope of perfect peace. All who trust, who have faith in God, and all whose thoughts are fixed on him, who are head over heels in love. Now you might say, I'm not sure how that last one is, fits into being head over heels in love. Well then, you've never been head over heels in love, if you don't got that one. You with me? So Nathaniel, you're getting ready to get married. When are you getting married? November 9th. Right? Have you had any thoughts about Shani just between now and then by some chance? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Every moment of every day, right? Yeah. He's just hollering, woo! He just went, woo, like somebody shocked him, right? See? That's what it should be like if you're in love. Yeah, you get it. You understand it. When you're in love with someone, you cannot stop thinking about that other person. Infatuation is a good thing when you're in love. If it's not, it's called OCD, but that's another conversation for another time. You get medication for that. You will keep in perfect peace. I have the hope of being kept in perfect peace when I have my faith in him and when I'm head over heels in love with him. And you just can't have one out of the two, right? You can't just say, well, I'll do the first one but not the second one and have my peace. You won't have it. You can't just trust that God has the power to do it because if you're not in love with him, you'll never be convinced that he'll use that power on your behalf. You won't have peace if you just have faith. You've got to have faith and love. And, it, and if you just have love but you don't have faith, then you're not going to have perfect peace either. And you can appreciate that in our relationships in the world. There's people in this world that we love deeply, but we know because they're human beings. There is 
eventually there is a limit to what they can do to help us. So there's a measure of peace that I can have through relationships with human beings, but it's not going to be a perfect peace. And he doesn't just say peace, he says perfect peace. And God's the only one that can give you a perfect peace because he's the only one that doesn't have any limits. I have to love him, I have to trust him, I have to have faith in him, and then there can be a peace that is perfect, which means that it is unchanged by what goes on out here. Mayhem comes, but it does not have to cost me my sense of inner peace. So last week, we were uh, in worship in Williamsburg, and, and Josh, is, I don't know if Josh is still in here, Josh Albrecht was leading, and he picked this amazing hymn, uh, Come, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Anybody like that one? The author of this famous Famed hymn is Robert Robinson, who lived from 1735 to 1790. And according to sharefaith.com, he was sent to London at the age of 14 for an apprenticeship. And although his mother had hoped that Robert would find direction there, he soon found himself lost in a life of alcohol abuse and riotous living. Three years later, at the age of 17, he attended an evangelistic event where his heart was pierced by the convicting preaching of the noted minister, Reverend George Whitfield. He actually went with his friends to create a disturbance and mock and make fun of George Whitfield as he preached. Three more years passed before he finally yielded his heart to Christ and soon gave full attention to vocational ministry. At the age of 23, in 1758, as he was preparing for a sermon to be delivered at the Calvinist Methodist Chapel in Norfolk, England, Robert Robinson wrote a poem that we have come to know as Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Music wasn't put to it until 1813. It was just a poem initially. And in this, if you know it, in this, in this hymn, I, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've sung this hymn in my life. There's this line in there that says, Raise my Ebenezer. I was like, what is that? And if you've ever been to the Williamsburg campus, it's an old movie theater, and the movie theaters are, are down like a, uh, below ground, and so I'm the, you, you, it's hard to get a signal, and so I've got my iPhone, and I'm trying to, what, raise my, that's good. That's, you know, I, there was, I could tell there was something in there, right? It God was just stirring my heart. I want to find that way. It was more than curiosity, and I couldn't get a signal. It was frustrating me terribly, right? And so, so now I'm distracted for the whole rest of the worship set. I'm sure it was great, but I want to know, what does is, what is raise my Ebenezer mean? So during the greet time, I snuck out the back and went upstairs and outside where I could get a signal on my iPhone. So I Googled, raise my Ebenezer, and sure enough, the hymn comes up, and then all of a sudden it gives me a text, and that text is 1 Samuel 12. Now I'm going to read it to you in a minute, but let me give you some background. So when you pick up in chapter 4, and if you've never read through the beginning of 1 Samuel, you should do it because it's an amazing story. The Israelites, they've just rejected God, and they're still doing some practices, but just by way of ritual, but they no longer have meaning. And one of their practices is that we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant with us because now it's just like a magic wand. When we have it, we have magical power, but they really don't care about God. And so God says, okay, if you think the box has all the power, when really the box just represents me, then we'll see what happens. So they just get slaughtered. The Philistines actually take possession of the Ark of the Covenant. Long story short, they repent, God forgives, the Ark comes back, they go back to battle, and they have a great victory. And right there, at the end of the victory, we have this moment in 1 Samuel 7, 12. Oh, this is good. Samuel then took a large stone, and he placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jashanah. And he named it, you guessed it, Ebenezer, which means the stone of my help. It's rich, isn't it? You know, I don't have any tattoos, but I'm coming up with a list of all the tattoos I'd like to have, right? 
this big, huge stone, right, with Ebenezer. Wouldn't that be a great tattoo? Don't get it. Don't, don't, I'm, I'm going to get there eventually. Just give me time. I'm going to stop sharing my ideas because I know you're going to steal them. See, verse 4, I love verse 4. It's such a picture of God's grace. God doesn't have to give us verse 4. This is part of what David was talking about. He doesn't, he doesn't have to work to convince us to trust in him. He could just say, you do it or else. We're gonna, in parenting, we're going to get to that in this sermon tonight, right? But he doesn't. So many times in places in Scripture where he asks things of us, he takes the extra step to convince us. He says, trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is not just a rock. It's not just something that you can, right? He's the eternal rock. There's no perfect peace unless it's based on the eternal rock. If you want your peace to be unchanging, then it's got to be based upon someone who does not change, and he's the rock eternal. He is our great Ebenezer stone. And you might not go out and find a rock and put it in your yard and have this big ceremony because that would be weird, but so... But it should be in here, on the inside. There should be, you should have this picture of a rock, a stone that's been erected in your heart. It is your Ebenezer stone because God is your eternal rock and that you're head over heels in love with him and you have faith in him and you trust in him. And then all of a sudden when mayhem comes, you anchor yourself to that rock and your perfect peace does not change. Mayhem is going to come, but it should never cost you your sense of peace. So, so this is where, so that's some introductory thoughts for the series. But where I want to take this series is this idea of are you adding to the mayhem of your life? You with me? So we know Jesus says mayhem is going to come. The problem is with my life, the problem is with your life, is that we add to the mayhem that God already has planned for us. Right? Humanity is the epitome of foolishness. That's not enough mayhem for me, God. I'm going to add a little bit more to the list if you don't mind. All right, so not you, right? Because these participation moments, we're never talking about ourselves. We're talking about, you know, our spouses or other people. What are some other people that you might know? How have they added to the mayhem of their life that you've observed throughout your journey of living? Anybody? Anybody? How have people added to the mayhem of their life? Somebody, come on. Nathaniel? He, he, was just, he was just fixing his hair. All right. I don't have that problem. Drugs and alcohol. Absolutely, right? Chemical abuse, addiction, you add to the mayhem of your life. Somebody else. Mark? Debt. Oh, come on. That's a big one. Let's just let that one sink in for a minute. Yeah. Come on. Living beyond your means. A windowsill of broken parts. What does that mean? Oh, I, I see. I, with, your, with your job. Just not, me, not meeting deadlines. Got you. Tara? Overstepping boundaries. Everybody's like, oh, right? You feel that. Somebody else. How have you added mayhem to, not you, but other people? Serena. Not taking responsibility for their action or their kids for going to there tonight. You're setting me up. Alan, going to the wrong, come on, you guys have been in my notes. Going to the wrong people for advice. Yes. Yeah, 
so Micah was saying of, of, of so many times where God's trying to tell her what to do and she just wants to, I, I'm going to do it myself, right? So this idea of, uh, of not wanting God's help, not wanting God's, especially when we don't like the answer that he's given us, right? We, we could just keep going on and on and on. We'd come up with this huge list of ways that we add mayhem to our lives, which got me thinking about, you know, one of my favorite vacation memories is when the bells as a family came down we got to spend a gay together on our second week and so we're hanging out and talking a little bit and I don't know how the conversation got there but they said do you guys have the app game on your iPhone dumb ways to die we said we don't even know anything about dumb ways to die Please tell us about this wonderful game, right? And so their son Braden is telling us all about this game. So somebody gave us two free tickets tonight for a Tides game. So we're going to give these to Braden. He's not in here, so he and his dad can go out. And then it's because Braden is a dumb ways to die evangelist. He's a dumb ways to die evangelist. Now, if you get enough points, like I have now gotten in just a matter of weeks, you actually get the video of the dumb ways to die song. We may or may not show that next week. We'll see. But I did print it out so that I could read it to you. I'm not going to sing it, because so, that would be a dumb way for me to die, because you would kill me. So don't waste it. I set your, fire, set your hair on fire, poke a stick at a grizzly bear, eat medicine that's out of date, use your private parts as piranha bait, which is my personal favorite. <laughs> because the principle is if it's just a little bit inappropriate, it's okay, and it makes it more funny. It's, it's funny. I don't know if Michelle, if we know Michelle well enough to talk about her without permission, but we'll try it tonight. So, so, so the first time she's heard about the game, she saw it. She says to Jamie, this is inappropriate. Our kids cannot play this. So Jamie says, all right, well, you just, just play it for a couple of minutes, and, and then let's, let's see. This is great! Right? 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just check it. All right. Get your toast out with a fork. Do your own electrical work, teach yourself how to fly, eat a two-week-old unrefrigerated pie. Invite a, invite a psycho killer inside, scratch a drug dealer's brand new ride, take your helmet off in outer space, use your clothes dryer as a hiding place. This is as close as I'm going to get to wrapping right here. Keep a rattlesnake as a pet, sell both your kidneys on the internet, eat a tube of super glue, I wonder what this red button do. Dress up like a moose during hunting season, disturb a nest of wasps for no good reason, stand on the edge of a train station platform, drive around the boom gates of a train crossing, run across the tracks between the subway platform. They may not rhyme, but they're quite possibly the dumbest ways to die. Is that not great? I'm telling you, the video, it's hilarious. So also next week, we're going to do a giveaway for the highest score. You may be unproductive this week. If you lose your job and you still win, you lose. I'm just putting that out, right? Just, just, just for the sake of, some of you are downloading the game now and playing it already. Who is it? Raise your hand. Tyler Ashworth. All right. Who, oh, we got some more. Kevin Bro. Who else? Confessions of the city. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you might be healed. Who else? Oh, we got Michael. Yeah, all right. The whole youth section, right? I've lost him for the whole rest of the service. Can you shut the internet? Server? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Adding to the mayhem of your life. So I had a direction that I was going to go in tonight. I had a, the, 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 my plan. And on Wednesday, as, as I was really sitting down to try to dial in my outline, I felt like God said, I want you to give your top five. I was like, God, I, I already got everything all worked out here. You know, it's Wednesday. Saturday's coming. Quick. 
So that, you know, you have some conversations like that. That's what Micah was talking about. I said, now I want you to give your top, your top five. In 14 and a half years of, of, of vocational ministry, of pastoring, sitting in offices with people whose lives are a mess, in large part because they've added to the mess of their life, they've increased their mayhem, felt like God was saying, I want you to write down right now the top five reasons that you have observed in other people's lives for why they do it. Okay, I'll see you next week. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to give you four tonight, time permitting. We'll see if we get through four, and then we'll save the fifth one for next week. The first two, I could not write them down fast enough. The first two, it's a dead even tie. The first two, they happen equally and they work in conjunction with each other. The first two of all of my years in sitting with families and, and with young people and singles that, that have added mayhem to their life. This, this, so I, cho- I had to pick one, but they're both, I could put them both up there, but I can only do one at a time. Increasing isolation. Somebody who's increasingly isolating themselves. This is how we see it in church the first time. You only start showing up when you're scheduled to work. You with me? If that's you, you're in the zone of increased isolation. You're about ready to add some mayhem to your life. I'm just telling you, it's the principles of God's word. It's going to happen. Increasing isolation, where you just begin to pull back and pull back. It doesn't mean that you become a loner. It means that you trade your relationships with God's people for ungodly people, which is part of how the mayhem comes. All right, Proverbs, I'm going to read 13, 20, and we're going to jump over to Matthew. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Let me, let me, let me reconnect that to our sermon series. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and add mayhem to your existence. All right, Matthew 18, 20. Matthew 18, 20. Many of you are familiar with this one. It says, for where two or three are gathered together, and then this next phrase is important, as my followers. This is the kind of people that you surround yourself with makes a difference. I'm not saying as Christians we should isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. We can't do that because we're supposed to have an evangelistic impact. I'm talking about the people that you surround yourself, who your community is, who become the primary influence in your life. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. As you begin to isolate and withdraw from the family of God, as you begin to isolate and withdraw from, from, from relationships with people who are passionate followers of Christ, not only do you lose the benefit of their influence, but you minimize, you minimize the manifest presence of God in your life. You can't do anything about the, about the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere. Whether or not you're awakened to that presence is a completely different conversation. The things that we do, the choices that we make, the pathways that we talk about so often, they awaken us to the presence of God. Increasing isolation will add mayhem to your life. This is the other one, decreasing deference. So as you increase your isolation, you will also decrease your deference. What does that mean? It means that you decrease the amount of times that you defer to people around you that love you enough to say hard things to you. We talk about this all the time here at the City Life Church. All the time! 
Who are the people in your life that you've given permission to say no to you? And if you don't have any of those people, you are going to add mayhem to your life. Listen to this in Proverbs 25, 11. Oh, the Proverbs, come on, they are rich. 25, 11. Timely advice is lovely like golden apples in a silver basket. Verse 12, to one who listens, valid criticism is like a gold earring or other jewelry. And then we jump over to 27, verse 9. Oh, this is so good. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. The fragrance of the counsel of a friend who loves you, it just, the aroma of it is sweet. If you're in a place in your life where you find yourself deferring to others less and less, which oftentimes goes in hand in hand with, with, with increasing isolation, it doesn't always go hand in hand with increasing isolation. Sometimes you continue to be around people, you just don't want to let them speak into your life. They can happen both, are you with me? Can happen both ways there. But oftentimes they go hand in hand. This idea of decreasing deference, there must be people in our lives that we let say no to us. I believe in this idea of permission-giving relationships. There should be people in your life that you seek permission from. I'm not talking about letting people control you. Not, we're not talking about that. I, we're not talking about having to find someone to tell you what to do every time you need to do something. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when you're making big decisions in your life. You're the grocery store, don't call me and ask me if you should go down aisle 13 or 14 because I'm just going to hang up on you. Right? You, you with me? When you make big decisions, there should be people that you're calling. It can't always be me. It should be people in your life group. There's actually should be three groups of people in your life. Your Timothy's, your Barnabas's, and your Paul's. We talk about this all the time. The Timothy is the person that you're leading. Great leaders know when to defer to people that they're leading. Great leadership is never deferring. Great leadership is deferring to the right people at the right time and the right ways for the right reason. The people in your life, the Timothy's, people that you're leading, people that you're discipling, people that you're investing in. Sometimes they have some things to say to us that we need to hear and we need to defer to them. The Barnabas, those are your peers, those are your equals, those are your colleagues, those are people on equal footing in your journey. When you think about where you are in your journey as being a disciple of Christ, it's people that are walking with you that are in a similar place. Let them speak into your life. And then there's the Pauls. There's the people that are further ahead of you. If you don't have anybody in your life that's farther ahead of you in your journey as a follower of Christ who you've given permission to say no to you, then I'm telling you, you are going to add mayhem to your life. We need other people's voice in our lives. So when we were making a decision to, to, uh, about bringing uh, Pastor Jamie in, and, and we were talking about, you know, because he's going to be bivocational, and what kind of, you know, demands we were going to be able to place on him, what type of expectations we were going to be, and we were going through our list, and one of the things I said was, you know, it's going to be important that he be at both campuses and both services every weekend. And, and Tim, said, Tim said, not when he gets a job. It's like, what do you mean not when he gets a job? He's, it's the only way that he's really going to get our DNA and, 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 and really get in. You know, and so I'm just, I'm convinced that I'm right. You with me? And Tim says, we're not going to do that. And then he begins to talk about this idea of that, hey, if he's working a full-time job, you don't have another full-time job, Fred. You've got this job, so you can be in both places. And so he's just sharing in that room. We can't. If, you were, if you're on the governance team, you remember that conversation? And I'm like, he's right, and I don't like it. Okay? <laughs> but it's true. Once he starts working full-time, you might not see him here every weekend. That's going to be dependent on what kind of job he gets and the demands and what they feel comfortable as a family. But we're not going to place that expectation on them. It probably would have been if we didn't believe in deference. 
it probably would have been if part of my philosophy of leadership wasn't seeking permission from other people. It's one of the reasons why the City Life Church is a healthy place, because that's how we make decisions together. And if Tim had not been in that room, maybe somebody else would have spoken up. I don't know the answer to that question. But because we make decisions like that as a group, because we defer to one another, because we seek permission from one another, there's a better outcome on the end. Compromise. James 1, verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. We've talked about this before. There's a big difference between testing and temptation. God tests us. A test is when someone's setting you up for success. Temptation is when someone's setting you up for failure. The devil tempts, God tests. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. It's interesting, it gives both. You, you, you tracking with me? Both in testing and temptation. Whether it's something that God's brought to set us up for success, like David, he set him up for success by bringing him the, the lion and the bear to fight. He was getting him ready for Goliath. And he fought Goliath, he was getting him ready for kings. But there's also temptation. It says, afterward, whichever one it is, afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, so now it switches out of testing as an example and just goes to temptation. You tracking with the text? And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, which also means he never tempts to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else, it says. Temptation comes, listen to what it says, from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to mayhem. It says death in the text, but it's the same. It gives birth to mayhem. Compromise moved into the second tier. Isolation and, and, and deference, they're the, the biggest ones by far that I've observed. And then you move down to this next tier of three. We're going to do two, two more, this one and one more tonight, and then we'll do the other one. But these next three, I would say I've seen them equally as well. This idea of compromise. Compromise is this idea when the other, this is part of you that gives you a sense of peace on the inside. There's another part of you on the inside that gives you this feeling of, you shouldn't do that. You ever had that feeling? Don't do that. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, that's the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls it conviction. It's this, it's this feeling that stirs inside of you. This is going to be bad, right? Compromises, but I think I'm going to do it anyways. And it works in the other way, too, because we know in the book of James, we learn about sins of omission and sins of commission. There's also a feeling of you better do that. You better do that. You better do that. And then we choose not to. Whether it's humble yourself and swallow your pride and say, I'm sorry. That's never happened to you, right? It happens to me quite often. This idea of, of sharing your faith in moments when you don't want to, of, of, of hitting the snooze button for the 50th time instead of getting up to read the Bible for a few minutes before you go to work. You, 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 you've, you've been there. The don'ts and the do's. Compromise is ignoring the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And James, now you might think, eh, it's just little, it's just little. But that's why James writes it the way that he does, inspired by, it starts out little, and it ends up as death. Because that's how the devil just drags us away. 
He doesn't show up to you tomorrow and say, I'd like for you to be the Antichrist, right? Because you're like, whoa, hey, because you recognize that one, right? Hopefully you recognize that one. It's little stuff, just little stuff, little stuff. And the next thing you know, you are in over your head in mayhem because you have lived a life of compromise. In a relationship, your head over heels in love, you can't stop thinking about the other person. You're supposed to have some boundaries in your physical relationship. Compromise. You've got a budget. You know what you're supposed to spend and not spend. You're at Best Buy. They're having the sale of the century. <laughs> Compromise. You're having some challenges with your stewardship of your physical body. Somebody invites you to go to the Golden Corral. Compromise. Right? Are you with me? It's just all of these moments when you know that you shouldn't. It's all these moments when you know that you should and compromise just keeps pulling you a little bit farther, a little bit farther, a little bit farther until you entered into the kingdom of mayhem. All right, you ready for this one? This one may or may not be enjoyable. I'm just, I'm just giving you a disclaimer. Right? We're going to talk to you tonight. Selfishness. Let's just let that one sink in for a minute. And we could go a lot of different directions with this one tonight. But since our beloved young people are back from camp, I thought we'd talk to the parents about parenting teenagers a little bit tonight, amongst some other things. But that's where we're going to head a little bit. Look at 41.4. This is such, if you are a parent, you got to get a hold of this verse. Who has done such mighty deeds, speaking of the Father, and listen to what it says here, summoning each new generation from the beginning of time. It is I, the Lord, the first and the last, I alone am He. Listen to this. Summoning each new generation from the beginning of time. He can't wait to summon the next generation. And if you are a parent, you're supposed to be a part of it. One of the greatest gifts that we give our kids is the ability to hear the voice of God summoning them into their destiny. And they learn it first and foremost by your example. We're not going to be that church that doesn't pass the ball to the next generation. We're going to be the church, the church we can't get it to them soon enough. Because we want to model for them what they're supposed to do for the generation that comes after them and so forth and so on. He is summoning the next generation. And as parents, that's one of our most sacred responsibilities to create an appetite in the hearts of our children. And if you have made mistakes with that and your children are gone, then you get busy doing it in somebody else's life. Get involved in one of the, these young families' lives. Get involved in their work and trying to capture the heart of their kids. Help them learn from your mistakes. If you've missed your chance, it doesn't mean that you don't get to try again. You just try again with somebody else. Get involved with students. Get involved with workshop. Get involved in, it starts in the nursery. Come on. It starts early on. So I'm going to give you five ways that I see selfishness played out in the lives of families. The first one is parenting. If you, if, I'm just talking to you tonight. If you've got children that are young elementary school or younger and you've never taken a parenting class, you are irresponsible. Just irresponsible. And at the end of the day, you can give me every reason that you want, but at the end of the day, it's just a matter of selfishness because you will not put in the time. It might be selfishness because you don't want to be accountable. You just say, I'd rather not know, so I'm not responsible. It's selfishness. 
And you'll be adding mayhem to your life. And you'll be adding mayhem to the lives of your children. One of the best things that we ever did years ago when Derek was born, he's turning 13 on Monday. We're getting ready to enter into the teen years ourselves. One of the best things, decisions we ever made is we went to a parenting class called Growing Kids God's Way. And we teach that every year, 16 weeks here at the church. Vanessa teaches it in the spring. If you have never gone to that, you should write it on your account. I'm going, and nothing's going to stop me. If you are a parent, you have, and if it's not that one, you got to pick something else. You have got to do something. Don't let selfishness give you permission to not work in your parenting process. We got a call from a young family. Vanessa fielded the call this week, and they were having a situation with their child, not wanting to eat something. And Vanessa says, you know, it has nothing to do with the food, right? We don't care whether or not our kids eat peas. It's not about the peas. It's about you establishing the right to govern their heart. We win our battles. We, we, put, we dig our heels in when our kids are little because we are trying to teach them, I am the boss of you. And you know why they need to learn that? Because one day they're going to be standing in a service like this and God's going to be saying to them, I'm the boss of you. And our heart has got to long to be governed. Our children learned how to be governed by God first learning to be governed by their parents. It shapes our heart to be ruled. You got to do it the right way for the right reasons, right? We know that parents can take that beyond. We're not talking. I think you understand what I'm saying. But us and I started sharing some stories. We remember nights when Derek was little and he's like, I'm not eating that, right? He couldn't even talk yet, but we recognize the expression on his face. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea who's at this table with you, right? Like two hours later, right? Vanessa's crying in the living room. I'm just sitting there. I'm not raising my voice. I'm not upset, right? Oh, you were not leaving this table until you eat that food. And he would eat that food, right? It's not about the food. It's about the right to govern the hearts of our children. It's earning the right to shape it so then we can shape it for the right reason. So they can hear the call of God. So the destiny can come. Remember when he got a little bit older and he could talk and he began to develop preferences, right, for all of our kids. I'd go to the microwave and I would set the timer. We're not talking about giving them huge portions, just little tiny portions of certain things, right? You got five minutes to make that go away. And if that timer goes off before it's gone, you're doubling down, baby. Let's learn a little bit about Vegas right now. <laughs> Boom! That's called doubling down. Now you got twice as much as you had before. You with me? It's not about the food. I'm just telling you, if you are a parent, you got work to do. Selfishness will keep you from doing the work. You will think of all the reasons why to say, oh, it's late, I'm tired, I don't care about the peace. You better care about the peace because you better care about their heart. Marriage. It takes hard work to have a great marriage. And if you put the work in, you will have a great marriage. That's what the Bible promises. You've got to put the time in. We offer it, laughing your way to a better marriage, love and respect. There's just so many. The marriage thing that we're doing this fall in November when Pastors Ron and Sandy Johnson are coming. If you're not signed up for that in your marriage, you're crazy. Crazy. Or maybe I should say a little bit selfish. You find time. You might say, I've been married for 30 years. There's nothing more I can learn. Then you're selfish and arrogant. You with me? Come on. There's always more to learn. That's got to be your heart. I'm just talking to you tonight. You're like, I don't want Fred to go on vacation anymore. <laughs> and if you don't have the money, that's okay. You tell us, we'll make a way for you to go. In the history of the City Life Church, anybody who's ever said, I can't do it because of finances, who shared that need, they've never not been able. We figure out a way for you to go. Don't let, don't let, then that's pride. 
You with me? Find a way. It's going to be in it. You have got to invest in your marriage. All right, you ready to talk about teenagers a little bit? So I went into Pastor Justin's office earlier today and, and said, I, out of the 24 virtues, I want to give you the four I'm going to tell parents have to be non-negotiables in their teens. I want to make sure this is pastor juice, you know, approved stuff. And so he said, oh, no, those are the right four. Humble, faithfulness, truthful, and kindness. Now, those are big words. Those are big virtues. But I'm, I'm going to give you some, I'm going to drill it down a little bit. Humility, I want to talk about specifically the respect for authority. You have got to demand. A, see, this idea of virtues, we just did a whole series on how these 24 virtues come alive in your life through the pathways, right? But one of the ways it comes alive in the hearts of our children is that we expect it of them. We call it out of them by placing demands on them. That's how it gets started in the hearts of young people. If you've got teenagers in your home, you have to demand from them respect for authority. Not just you, but teachers, the President of the United States, political officials, whether you agree with them or not, respect for authority. The Bible's very clear about honoring. There's God-honoring ways to protest without being disrespectful. And our children, they learn it from us. If they've got a coach or a teacher or a school administrator or somebody that's doing some things that are, that are wrong or treating them unfairly, their job is to show respect and then tell you, your job is to intervene as the parent. That's your job. Their job is to be respectful. You should demand of your youth respect. For you, for other people in authority over their lives. Faithfulness is work ethic. They've got a job. If, 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 if they're on a, a sports team and their schoolwork, work hard. I don't care if they get C's on their report card. If they work their tail off for those C's, you should celebrate that. Celebrate the hard work, not just the results. Sometimes we get confused as parents because it's less than what we wanted. We need to encourage the work ethic. That's what we encourage. That's what's going to serve them all the days of their life. Faithfulness, humility, work ethic, respect for truthfulness. You have got to demand truth from your children. We tell our kids, tell us the truth, even when it's inconvenient, even when you know you're going to get in trouble because if you lie, we're going to figure it out because that's what parents do. And then you're going to double down. <laughs> right? Tell the truth. It's going to serve them in their marriages, in their relationships, in their work, in their jobs, in their future, in their destinies. There should be a demand that we have of our kids. We tell the truth. And they learn it from us. You with me? They should be learning it from our example just as much as through the demand that we give. Kindness. This is a big one. Courteous, polite, respectful to other people. It should be an expectation you have of your kids. You can't look at these and say, well, that's not my kid's personality. Character has nothing to do with personality. Character has nothing to do with personality. You can have as many personalities in this room as you want, and all of those different personalities can get all four of those dialed in tight. Just, just being polite, courteous, kind to other people. Your home should be a place where no one is free to be demeaning to anyone else with their words. Your home should be a place where no one has the, no matter how frustrated and as tired as you are, to be unkind to someone else. As they observe it in your relationship with your spouse, as, as you treat your children, sometimes we've got to go to apologize to our children for being unkind to them. You with me? You got to do it. They learn how to apologize and ask forgiveness from you and from me. 
These should be things that we demand of our kids. And when they don't, there should be consequences. I'm, I'm just telling you, there should be consequences. If you've got older teenagers and you say, well, you know, I'm kind of the, the school of thought where, where may, they just, maybe I'm expecting too much of them. No, you're not. Now, maybe if you're exasperating your kids, but if that's, that's a different conversation, we need to talk about that. One of the principles of parenting is you never, you never, ever lower the standard to the child. You raise the child to the standard. You raise the child to the standard. As a parent, you should be the one in control of their lives. You should be governing. As they get older, it begins to shift a little bit. And I know that's what makes the teenage years a little bit awkward because now you've got to give them a little bit, let them make some decisions. I understand all that. I'm not talking about treating your your 17-year-old like they're three. But if they're living in your house, eating out of your pantry, and you're paying most of their bills, then you should not have a sense of being beholden to them. You tracking with me? If they're in social media, you better be one of their friends on their Facebook page, following them on Instagram, and on their Twitter. And if they're not letting you do that, then you take those devices from them. And if they bought it with their own money, you teach them about this idea of, I gave you life ownership. Because they can't live in that phone and they certainly can't eat it for nourishment. You with me? If they spent it with their own money, they wouldn't even have any money to buy it if you weren't doing all those other things for them. You might say, well, they might not like me. You don't need them to like you. You need them to respect you. And, and, if, and, if, and, if, and if they never learn to respect you, then they're never ever really going to like you. Because real liking, real love is born out of respect. You might need to change the rules in your home. Warning signs. Lying, profanity, experimenting with drug and alcohol, overfixation on romantic relationships. How am I doing? Juice on my list. Not keeping the rules. You know the warning signs. If you've got those warning signs, don't dial it down to make it easier for them to succeed. You, you've got to double down because they need to be challenged more. Young people need boundaries. They need boundaries. Yes, we've got to dial those boundaries back at the right time, but you dial the boundaries back for the kid that's succeeding. You don't dial it back for the kid that's failing. Careers and scripts. I'm just going to mention those, then we're going to move on. Selfishness with your career, especially with dads. Your, your career is not the most important thing in your life. What's in your household has got to be the most important thing in your life. Don't, don't be selfish. It's preaching to myself. Don't, let's not be selfish with our need to have our ego inflated through success in the workplace when we're failing at home. Selfishness. It adds mayhem to our lives. Scripts. This is this idea of your past hurt still instructing you in your today. Dads, it's our relationships with our dad that begin to instruct how we become a father to our kids. Past romantic relationships, they become scripts that we're operating out of. How we observed our parents' marriage becomes a script that begins to instruct us in our own marriage. You with me? You've got to be a part. If this isn't your church home, you've got to be a part of a church home somewhere that understands this idea of scripts and talks openly about these in life groups and through marriage ministry and counseling. I've got scripts. You've got scripts. Those scripts cannot be what instruct us this script right here has got to be the one that rules our hearts and governs our lives selfishness holds on to our hurt because it's it's what's familiar i'm just i'm giving you my list 
in almost 15 years, 14 and a half years of pastoral ministry, I'm telling you, people that have sat in the office whose lives are just filled with mayhem, it's because they're not, and they didn't, and sometimes they don't want to get these things right. If you don't get them right, we don't want it to be because nobody told you. You with me? We don't want to be that church. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to finish with this song. This is Isaiah 47, 8 through 9. If you've been reading through the, if you're reading through the, the Bible in the year with us chronologically, you know we've been in Isaiah a lot. It's just, it's just so full, so much wisdom. It says, listen to this, you pleasure-loving kingdom. That's selfishness. Living at ease and feeling secure, that's a lack of deference, a false sense of security. I don't need anybody else to tell me what to do. You say, I am the only one and there's no other. That's isolation. I'm in no need for any equals. I will never be a widow or lose my children. Here comes the list of mayhem. That's not going to happen to me. Listen to what God says. Well, both of these things will come upon you in a moment. Widowhood and the loss of your children. Yes, these calamities, or we could insert mayhem, will come upon you despite all your witchcraft and magic, which are just examples of compromise. Right here. God is crying out to you and he's crying out to me, and he's saying the same thing. Mayhem, it's going to come. You can't stop it. But it should not cost you more than it should, and most certainly, most certainly, don't add to what's already waiting for you. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this place of worship, I just want to go back, God, to that word that, that, that you stirred in David's heart during worship. That God, that maybe there's some people that are here tonight and mayhem is the story of their life and they just hold their head in shame. May it be that they would just right now feel your hands reaching down and holding their chin and just lifting them up so that they can see you face to face. They would feel the warmth of your radiant grace. And they would see the invitation in your eye that you will love them forever and that they can trust in you. And that even now in this moment, they would feel an ember of hope and inner peace being restored to them. And as they look a little closer, they realize that it's not an ember, but it is a rock. It is their Ebenezer. And that you are 